Welcome to Game On, the weekly football podcast bringing together seasoned professionals, the male star football writers and a celebrity fan or two. I'm your host, Mark Pugach. Don't forget to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple and Google. And if you haven't already, why not sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk, where you can also watch Game On on video. So fans back in stadiums, what a great sight. But how do we sort out VAR, especially for those physically at matches? Well, with us to talk about all this, former Premier League referee Mark Clattenburg. We've got Martin Keown, who played for Arsenal in England, and the Daily Mail's football editor, Ian Ladyman. Hello, everybody. Great to see you and to see you looking so well. And we speak in the week where fans have been let back in. Martin, at your old club, Arsenal, on Thursday night, only a couple of thousand, but it was great to see, was it? And, and in all the grounds where fans have been let back in, there's been that real sense of, of excitement and here we go again. Yeah, there was a buzz uh, at the Emirates last night and you could just a totally different atmosphere. It seemed that the fans were, uh, they do play their part massively and the players were responding to that. I thought Arsenal played as well as I've seen them play for some time. Rapid Vienna were pretty poor, so it's hard to judge going into this massive derby game of the weekend but it was nice to see Arsenal play uh, with a lot more purpose and it felt more real with the fans in there. Yeah you just get the feeling in don't you that the players are going to respond to this and we never thought that maybe at big clubs there's only 2,000 rattling around a 60,000 seater stadium we might think well what difference would that make but you can see Martin was there you've, you've heard the reports from the players what a difference even that number of supporters is going to make. A huge a huge difference and and I I can't stress enough how, uh, if I'm really, really honest, how miserable empty stadiums are, whether it's uh, for a Premier League game or a Champions League game or an EFL game. Empty stadiums are dreadful for players, um, for, for officials, for anyone who's there. So just to get people back in is such a huge step forward. And I have to admit, I was watching the news on uh, Wednesday night um, and they showed a clip, I think it was from Luton, of um, supporters celebrating a goal. And I have to say, I felt kind of vaguely moved by it. Mm. And I wasn't even there. I was just seeing it on the television that, that, that players had someone to go and celebrate in front of. There was noise. It, it, it means the world. And yeah, 2,000 in, um, in, in a 40,000-seater stadium doesn't sound like a lot, but it's 2,000 more than no one. Yeah. So it's a huge step forward. I'm with you. I was quite moved by Gareth Ainsworth at Wickham going around before the match, clapping everybody as if to say, we've all been in this together. It's amazing you're back here. Let's get on with it. So let's bring it down a notch, Mark. Great to have you with us and talk about our old friend VAR. And specifically, OK, we, we, we all know what's going on, what the Dutch are doing or not doing by giving themselves a little bit of latitude. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. The suggestion is that they're using five centimetre wide lines on their screen when it comes to judging offsides, rather than the razor thin lines we're having. So that if those five centimetre wide lines are touching a little bit, players are level, therefore they're onside. Are they doing that? Is it okay they're doing that? And if they're doing that, why can't everybody else do that? Yeah, it's up to the individual competitions. However, they want to implement the VAR in Holland and UEFA and are looking at their offsides and they don't agree with the, the razor sharp lines where an armpit or a, a sleeve is, is deemed as offside. They would rather go back to what we agreed many years ago where the attacking player had the benefit of the doubt with the technology that, that was reduced. So 
I think FIFA and UEFA and different competitions want goals. They want action. They want uh, attacking phases. So therefore, they're going to use a little bit more tolerance. And I think going forward, other countries will uh, will follow suit because it's it's working. No, but there was no controversy in the Champions League this week about the offsides. But every week we are talking about it in the Premier League, and it's not it's not good for the image of the Premier League when we are talking about VR decisions every week. So, so UEFA are, are okay with Holland doing that. Yeah, and they're also doing it themselves, so they're making the line thicker. Therefore, if the lines are touching, then it's deemed as is level. Therefore, the benefit of the doubt goes back to the attacking player. So, if it benefits the game, and this is one thing we've got to look at, Mark, is the old laws from years and years ago don't suit the technology. So now we've got to change the laws to suit the technology because technology is here to stay. Yeah, well, bring it on then, Ian, surely, because anybody who loves football, and I was speaking to somebody connected with West Ham the other day, and they they accepted that in a normal circumstance, of course, Ollie Watkins was level and therefore onside. So surely bring it on, Ian, because anyone who loves football knows that what's going on is driving everybody mad. That is a, a, a really key point that Mark just, just made there, in my opinion, is that is that you, it, you'll have to, we'll have to change the laws. Um, I've said and I've written many times that, in my opinion, VAR is not necessarily the problem. The problem is actually that VAR is doing its job too well. VAR is doing exactly what it was asked to do, which is to spot every single thing that happens on a football field, whether it be the faintest touch of one player's boot on another player's shin or a millimetre offside. VAR has been asked to spot them and it's spotting them. It's the laws that's the problem. And particularly, for example, let's talk, let's talk, about, let's talk about fouls. Martin and I had a, what I would describe a pretty robust conversation on the phone about seven days ago about something that we saw in a game that we couldn't agree on. And, and we were saying then, I was saying then, that I think the law is the problem. So I looked up the land. Mark obviously will know much more about this than I do. But I looked up the rules of the game on, 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 on a foul. And the foul has got to be a challenge. It's dangerous or reckless or, or careless in terms of the, the laws of the game. So when you look at the Danny, the, the Danny Welbeck in, uh, penalty against Liverpool last week, the touch on Welbeck was minute, but you could argue that it was careless. You could argue, that I think it was Andy Robertson, you could argue that it was careless. Now, was it enough to bring Welbeck to the ground? Probably not. Was it enough to impede Welbeck? Probably not, but it was careless. So, for example, in that rule, if in that rule we had a line that said that, 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 that the contact had to be enough to significantly impede the progress of a player, wouldn't that clear up immediately a lot of what we're looking at in terms of faint touches of players on other players? W- would that not help? I think it would. The handball law has to be changed because it's ridiculous. VAR, again, is doing what it's asked to do. It's spotting the contact of the ball onto of a, on a player's arm. It's the rule that's the problem. And you could argue the same with offside. I think Mark's right. We can't go back for VAR. The technology is here. The technology is incredibly accurate in many, many ways. It's the laws that have to change. Mark, let, Mark, we'll come back to you with the law in a second. But Martin is the defender. It's all in your favour at the moment, Martin, the defenders. We want to see goals, not you grisly old centre-backs keeping it out of the net. Are you happy? You, you know, you're out the game now as a sense you're not playing it. Obviously, you're working on it a lot. Are you happy that Ollie Watkins was onside and that should have counted and that we need to have a little bit of latitude in offside with VAR? It, it, it worries me working for a broadcaster that VAR literally grabs those uh, the replays and holds it in that moment, and that we don't we don't see we get caught up in it as well. 
And where I'm really concerned is the communication element, where we just take our supporters for granted. Whereas in other sports, they talk through the workings out of why the player's offside, why there's infringement. And that needs to be the next step. There's so many issues with VAR, but I think the referees should be made to communicate more. It should be much more open. So we then, as a broadcaster, can convey that. Often it's like being in a darkened room. Someone's thrown the, thrown the key away, and we're guessing as to why VAR are looking at. One of the other issues, I believe, is that VAR, in my understanding, was set up to, to identify clear and obvious mistakes by the referees. Now, the game that me and Ian were arguing over, the Villa match, where there was a, a foul on Sonny Marsh, I'm not so certain that was clear and obvious. I thought Michael Oliver did exceptionally well to pick that up. If that had been anywhere else but in the box, it was a foul. And it wasn't, it, they made him walk to, it's like walking the plank for the referees. They've been like naughty schoolboys. They walk to, it's protocol. They know they've got to go against themselves. And I honestly feel there that VAR, it wasn't brought in for that reason. And now VAR is interfering a little bit too much. So I think that needs to be reestablished as to where we are. Was we are actually completely being used for? We're, as broadcasters, as a co-commentator, we're in the dark at the moment. Yeah. And Mark here makes a really good point about the law maybe not being fit for purpose. It's not the law's fault because the law, of course, was, in, was, was were written down years ago. But with the speed of the modern game and now particularly the implementation of technology, are many of the laws fit for purpose for today's football? It definitely isn't. I think I totally agree with Ian and I agree with Martin to a point. When If we look back at why we brought VAR in, VAR was brought in because people were frustrated about the decision, certainly holding in the penalty area because referees weren't strong enough for holding in the penalty area, corners and attacking free kicks. Guess what? VAR solved this. Yeah. VR now, you don't very rare get corner kicks and attacking free kicks where defenders are holding because they'll know they will be punished. So it's a deterrent. So it has worked in some aspects. But like Ian said, the handball, when you look at slow motion and you look at the, the movement of the hand to the ball, it'll always look a penalty because slow motion, your natural body will move forward and therefore make it look like something that didn't happen. So there is a lot of laws need changing. But one of the biggest things for me is let's strip it back. Let's use it for what we really wanted it for, the Thierry Henry handball, the scandal decision where everybody in football go, that's not football. But we're talking about decisions now that is part of football. We look at the Sully March challenge. We look at Danny Welbeck's challenge. This is part of football. This is what we love about football, the opinions. Is it a foul? Is it not? This is not what VR was for. This is, you know, VR was meant for this big scandal decision that nobody would accept. And we've took it too far the other way. And it's how we bring it back in line where people are accepted and actually enhance the game. Because but, the but Mark, I think people can live with the, not if you support the teams, the Solly March and Danny Welbeck, the old pub chat, I think it was, I think it wasn't. You're never going to agree on that. But I think things like the Ollie Watkins, these, you know, the Mane offside in the Merseyside derby, Timu Puki last season when three, four, 85% of his body's behind the last defender, but he was just leaning forward to the offside. Those are the ones I think where people go, Come on, this is football. That's that's insane. That isn't going to change. That isn't going to change because even if you even well, it might change. Sorry, it might change in if you use the if you use the Dutch lines. If we can call them that, they might change. A lot, a lot of people say to me, "Oh, let's have let's 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 have daylight. Let's say that that, that unless there's daylight between a attacker and a defender, he's fine." So say just for argument's sake that you said, "Right, okay, we'll have daylight. There's got to be daylight." But daylight. If daylight will have its own margins. Yeah, yeah. Right? Daylight yeah, yeah. will have its own margins. And then we'll just argue whether a foot was 
daylight was touching the daylight margin. But, so, but Ian, that wasn't, Ian, that wasn't the issue. I've never had an issue. I've never seen many issues with assistant referees flagging for offside. I think the accuracy rate was incredible. Incredible limits. Assistant referees, we used to watch week in, week out, go, wow, what a decision from the assistant referee. That, that decision's correct. What it's caused also, which is what people don't understand, is what we see on TV isn't the reality. So when they're using 3D technology, because the camera isn't in line with the, the last defender, it gives you a, a wrong sense. Therefore, what you think is clearly offside is actually technically onside, which is not what we want. We want to see what we actually see out of our eyes and how many goals have been scored over the years incorrectly because now we are seeing technology mm. showing, thinking, oh, that, that looks onside. And when they put the 3D technology, he's actually got a foot offside, which is not what football wants. You, you said, Mark, earlier about VAR being there for the sort of scandalous decisions. If we look at Aston Villa at the start of the beginning of the, the last lockdown, should we say, the game against Sheffield United, the ball went over the line. Where goal line technology for the first time ever didn't work. I don't even know, was it not switched on? I, I don't know why it didn't work. And VAR just sat watching when it was clearly over the line. So, I mean, it, it was bizarre as VAR now is changing. It's, when we did that Villa game, instantaneously in my ear, I could hit because we get a, the first hit of VAR. We want to look at that. Now, the, VAR couldn't have actually looked at themselves, if that makes sense. So I would have thought VAR works like, okay, you're the referee. I'm going to, I'm in the VAR truck. Let me run that back. Mark, I think you better go to that. There'd have been a minute or so or 30 seconds. This was instant. So VAR now has been used to help the referee's decision on the pitch. And that's what, what VAR was presented to us at the very beginning. And I think we should make that public. It's, yeah. It takes so long for, for them to make changes. I know we've had COVID to deal with. But this is, these are really important decisions that we get VAR right. I don't think it was fit for purpose when it first came in. We can't take it away. But when we make changes, it's got to be done much quicker. Yeah, and it, we've got to remember that VAR has been controlled and operated by human beings and human beings make mistakes. And yeah. When they're following protocols, they make mistakes. Even the Watkins goal at the offside where he was manhandled should have been a penalty in law mm. because yeah. the actual offside didn't happen. The offside hadn't happened because he hadn't touched the ball. Yeah, yeah. The actual happened before the offside so it's still a human error and this is what I'm not comfortable with we're blaming VR a lot and it's not VR always at fault yet it's the laws and the people that are operating it so unless we get that right and we all accept it then we'll always criticize VAR. let's leave VAR for a second because we could talk about it for hours and hours and we will definitely come back to it the other thing that happened of course Ian after the Brighton game was Jurgen Klopp and Des Kelly and um, Des Kelly knew his brief Stood his ground. I thought he was always very respectful. What's going on in Jurgen Klopp's mind? Do you think uh, Jurgen? I think he's exhibiting all the all the kind of uh, personality traits of many successful football managers, <laughs> which is that he's managed to convince himself that the world is the world is against him. Um, everything that he thinks or says is right, and anyone who doesn't agree is wrong. I'm sitting here in Manchester. If I look out my window, there's a there's a bloke who used to work at a football stadium not that far from here. He used to um, have that attitude, and he won about he won about a dozen uh, Premier League titles. So I think that's what's going on in Klopp's mind. It's a bit of the Fergie, I think. Um, world's against us. I'm getting all these injuries. It can't be my fault. It can't be nobody's fault. It must be somebody's fault. And he's 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 lashing out. Jurgen Klopp's a bright guy. He probably and, and the thing is, we all know he's got a point. We know that he's got a point in terms of the schedule is um, <clears throat> is relentless. 
that's frustrating for players and for well more for managers and players. I'd imagine players probably just play, just, just just go out there and play. Uh, it's frustrating for managers, but equally, Des Kelly was absolutely right. Is that the only way around this situation would have been for the Premier League managers to agree to a shorter see a shorter season, a a different kind of season where you didn't play as many games or you didn't play as many games in European competition. That was never going to happen because the clubs desperately in, in these times of COVID need the broadcasters' money more than they've ever needed mm. the money. Mm. So the clubs are never going to say, OK, we've only got an eight-month an eight month season instead of a nine-month season. We'll have to find a way of playing 15. <clears throat> we'll have to find a way of playing 30 Premier League games instead of 38. Condense the Champions League. was never going to happen because they need the money. So Jürgen is annoyed that that um, he thinks Liverpool have been chosen for too many 12, 30 games after European games. I'm not, a, I'm not a sports scientist. I don't know whether kicking off at 12.30 makes that much difference as opposed to kicking off at three o'clock, two and a half hours later. The Luddite in me would suggest it probably doesn't make that much difference. No. But Jürgen has it in his head. He thinks it does. I mean, they didn't kick off at 12.30 having been in Atlanta. They were at home. So, yeah, listen, uh, but as you say, the money... Martin, the money that they're getting from the broadcasters is more critical than ever when there's nobody in the in the stadiums. Do you recognise this as a player? Did you have this at times with Wenger? You thought, all right, I know what's going on here. He needs to rev us up that everybody hates us. The players won't see it that way. They will be completely in tandem with the manager, and, and as we were with Arsene Wenger, because the player feels it isn't nice to play that early game. You know, it's one of those where... You know, I, I don't, when I, when I talk as a former player, I don't like, to, I'm not trying to exclude those that haven't done it. It's simply telling you that it's much more difficult. When you walk into that canteen first thing in the morning with spaghetti bolognese and everything, and you want to eat a bowl of rice crispers, you, you don't want to play, you don't want to look at the food. You've been forced to eat it. You've got to build up your diet and, and you're ready to go. Eight o'clock in the morning, you're doing this. And it's just all a little bit too early. You can enjoy the process of a nice game, you know, where Anfield, for instance, you always seem to play there very early in the morning. Um, you, you feel it's against you, particularly the team that plays away from home. But what Jürgen Klopp needs to realise is they once said, I think Brian Clough famously said that football, TV, would kill, would kill football, the armchair fan. Actually, it saved football through this process. And you try to find the right balance. Liverpool are champions. So BT, that's the that's the package they paid an awful lot of money for, and it's the only slot that they can have. And so, you know, it's a bit churlish when you hear it coming from Jurgen Klopp. Um, it's about the, the Premier League getting together and, and trying to find, you know, spread it out a little bit if they can find some other way of doing it. But, the, you know, BT are doing nothing wrong, so obviously Des Kelly's right to defend his corner. But you don't want to humiliate Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp is an outstanding manager, one of the best we've ever seen. Um and a bit like Alex Ferguson, Ian's right. You know, they, they pick on everything, don't they? And this siege mentality, it's us against the world. And that's a little bit of what he's doing. But actually, I think he's looking for some change. But he's not going to get it in this area. If he's happy to receive the money, he has to get on with it and go and win the games. What about Mark, Mark, what about referees' uh, early kickoffs? What were they like for, for you as a ref? Same, same, same problem. You, you had, what, spag bowl at eight o'clock in the morning? Yeah, I would never have that. I would have the full English. <laughs> but no, it, is, it is bizarre. And I always found the atmosphere was different at half 12 kickoffs. It just, everything about it just didn't seem, it just never seemed right. But 
you know, Jurgen Klopp's a master at, at mind games. And when you're winning, everything's perfect. You never complain about anything. It's only when results don't go your way and uh, you, you're always looking for excuses. You know what? He's been in England long enough. An English league is one of the toughest. So the games come thick and fast. Christmas. So you've just got to get on with it. And, you know, Boxing Day and games during before New Year, then New Year. It was always a tough challenge. So he's known about it. So that's Ian's interview with Eric Dar. Really interesting, Ian, because I remember when he came to this country, he played at full-back, he played at centre-back. I don't want to play centre-back. I want to play in midfield. Now I want to play centre-back again. But Jose Mourinho's given him what he wants. Was that a hard decision, you think, for Mourinho to say to Dar, yes, you can go back there? I think it was because um, um, Eric explained to me in, in some detail that, that um, we'll probably be all remember the the game against Olympiacos about a week after Mourinho had taken over at Tottenham. It was actually a year ago last Wednesday, as it happens. The game against Olympiacos, Dyer plays in midfield um, and is taken off after 29 minutes. And, um, you know, hum- you know, any player will tell you how, how humiliating that is to be taken off unless you're injured that early. He's taken off after 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 half an hour and um and Dyer is absolutely devastated by this Tottenham recover they win the game so Mourinho's substitution is proven to be correct M- M- Dyer's devastated goes to Mourinho says look I'm sorry I see myself as a centre half this can't go on I've got to play as a centre half that's what I'd agreed with Pochettino and I really need to to have it you know that I'm going to be a centre half Mourinho says right okay blah 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 Mourinho doesn't play him as a centre half until the next until the following February, so that is what that is how much it took Mourinho to be persuaded that that Dyer was right. If I went through Dyer's stats from the season and he was in the team, he was out of the team, he was rested for big games. What sorry dropped for big games? He was taken off at half time in another big game all the time playing in midfield, and then they lost at Chelsea two uh, 0 I think in February. Um, of uh, this year, last season, they lost in February just before lockdown, and then Mourinho went to Dyer this time instead of Dyer going to Mourinho. Mourinho went to Dyer and said, "Right, okay, this is your chance. You can play at centre half. It's in your hands. Show me that you can do it." And here we are now in uh, almost Christmas, and Dyer's playing at centre half for Tottenham, and he's playing at, at centre half for England. Mm-hmm. So, so far, it would appear that that change of position has worked. And Dyer said to me. He said, like it or not, he said, but fundamentally, that was the only reason that I could stay at Tottenham, was if I knew I was going to play at a centre-half. And I know that now. That's why I signed the contract in July. And that's what I'm doing. And is he a centre-half for you, Martin? No doubt in your mind that he is built to play in that position. That sounds to me like a natural process. I mean, many years ago, we did an article with the Daily Mail about his skill set and me saying, look, he's got everything to be a top central defender. I don't quite understand why he's playing in midfield. I do believe, though, that it's made him a much better player. Because when you're in midfield, you have to handle the ball much better. Although there's a price to pay for that. Because your building blocks defensively are not quite there. And there are one or two areas that they need to work with him. I know it's detail, but there are crosses where I've seen him get his body shape's not quite right. But he's a powerful, quick, young man, intelligent. But there's work to be done with him. And then he can become a really top player. But he's very dependable for them. Very consistent. But I think that was the ultimate decision. He saw it for himself. I'm not going to play in this Tottenham team. I need to go further back. But Mourinho tried to buy him, I think, when he was the manager of Manchester United, to play in that midfield role. Wasn't prepared to accept that. Hoiberg's come into the Tottenham team. It's effectively then freed up Dyer to go back into the defence. 
and it's working beautifully for them at the moment. Mark, uh, interesting that he says in that interview as well that for him, Eric Dyer, Chelsea is a bigger match than Arsenal for historical reasons. Chelsea beat them in the League Cup final a few years ago. And then the infamous night at Stamford Bridge where Chelsea effectively won the title for Leicester when Chelsea and Tottenham played. Well, you were in the middle. You were refereeing, Mark. How feisty was that? I tried to referee it, but probably <laughs> the outside world wasn't successful. But you know what? We talked about VR before. Thank God I didn't have VR yeah. in this match. Well, the game would still be going on. Yeah, yeah but you know what? North London derby, I refereed the North London derby many times. And you know what? I really enjoyed it. It wasn't feisty. It was a nice match to referee. You know, very respectful. But the, the Chelsea-Tottenham game had a little bit of spite and it always did. So, you know, I can understand where Eric Dyer is coming from, from a physicality point of view. But a better football match has always been the North London derby. Yeah. It's well, interesting. We, yeah. Sorry, Mark. No, I'm just saying we missed the fans at Chelsea Tottenham last week desperately, didn't we, Ian? I was watching it. I was really excited. I sat down and obviously there was no crackle. And after five minutes, I was like, OK, we're going to get this sort of game, are we? Sometimes I forget, you know, when I'm obviously you don't forget when you're doing a live game because you can, you know, one, probably the only advantage of, of, of uh, no supporters being in the stadium is that you can rock up half an hour before it starts and you can leave half an hour after it finishes. That is the only um, only thing it's got going for it. But on the TV, you know, I often forget. So if I'm at home and there's a big game on the TV and I'm not working that day, I think, oh, great, I'll, I'll build my... I'll build my day around watching that game. Then you forget and you turn it on and it's just not, it's not the same. It's just not the same. It's, it's, it's so difficult to explain. One other interesting thing about the North London Derby, uh, uh, Martin, uh, you might be aware of this, I don't know, but incredible statistic came out this week that I, that I put to Dyer yesterday and he didn't know about it. Is that apparently Tottenham in the Premier League era have lost 42 points to Arsenal from winning positions, which is a Premier League record for no other team has lost that many points from a winning position against another team. 42 points lost from winning positions, which, as I said to Dyer, does that kind of feed into that, that theory that Mourinho expressed when he arrived and other people have said that Tottenham are just a little bit too nice still? I mean, you cannot, you will not win anything with that kind of, um, with that kind of, uh, kind of uh, situation, we, really incredible yeah. stat. Now, we, uh, where we came, Ian, when back the latter part of my career against, against Tottenham was invariably we were always trying to win a game to catch Manchester United. So it was, it was like, OK, this is going to be tricky. They're going to make this as difficult as possible. But if we play with our heads and not our hearts, we should get the ultimate result because we did have more quality than them. I think now, though, that door is firmly shut and we go into this game with... You know, if you compare the managers, you know, Arteta has gone there and won two trophies. Mourinho went there, you know, a little bit earlier. Maybe I think he's had 56 or 60 games since he's been manager and they've not won anything as well as they're now playing. And it does feel though this team is taking on board all of that nastiness and game management that Mourinho is looking for. So this weekend, uh, it's going to be very interesting because when you least expect, you know, the underdog to win in these sorts of games, they do. And that could be the story because Arsenal are the underdogs this weekend. And uh, Manchester, uh, so Tottenham now are playing really well the way they play. I love the way their midfield plays. They play with the six, four that defend and two that sit. And then those runaway, runaway trains that they have in Son. Bergwijn as well has done a really good job to keep Bale out of the side. Uh, and Harry Kane will come back at the weekend. So it's very difficult for Arsenal at the moment. And Spurs definitely have the upper hand. Martin, are you worried about Arsenal at the moment? 
Um, no, I think we've got an outstanding manager. I like this, I like the innovation that he showed last night, playing with um, um, Las, uh, Lacazette in a sort of Burkamp role, really, playing really quite deep, which is something that I've been calling for. No one really plays that way now. Manchester United did it with Sheringham or York playing deep, um, sort of four... Uh, a 4 4 1 1 system where one striker drops deep. You looked at that last night, and Arsenal looked really good there because they still have three players at the top of the team. In this match of the weekend, I think mean, Tottenham, uh, as we saw against, against Chelsea, they won't have much of the ball. I think they like to sit quite deep. That's the manager. Um, but Arsenal need now the tools to actually unlock teams. They're not creating enough, they're not having enough shots. They don't know what they're enjoying their football, and they've got to get back to that. Uh, that's very much the line with Arsenal Wenger was to express yourself and play with freedom. And they're not playing with freedom at the moment. Ian, if Tottenham are going to be serious about winning this league, then were they to beat Arsenal, that's four points from Chelsea and Arsenal. And that that's good, isn't it? That would be par for a team who expects of themselves to be seriously challenging for the title this season. Yeah, absolutely. You've got to win these games. I mean, look at, let's, let's look at it this way. If Arsenal, if Arsenal go to Anfield or Arsenal, or Arsenal go to uh, the Etihad, we all, we all, none of us would put any money on them getting anything, would we? No. We'd think oh, Liverpool will win, City will win. It's got to be that way for Tottenham. It has to be that way for Tottenham. They have already pulled off big results this season. Uh, beat Man City, beat Man United. They've already shown they can do it. But they have to keep doing it. They have to keep doing it. Just to just to flick back briefly to what Martin was saying there about Arsenal, I think I agree with him about the, with you about the manager, Martin. I, I really do. I see a manager there who looks like he, he's got a plan. He knows what he wants to do, which is half the battle. The big problem I think for Arsenal is Aubameyang. I think Aubameyang is a is is a problem for for them. He's a he's a brilliant player, but he isn't playing like one, and he hasn't played like one since he signed that contract. And I think he. You talk about you need innovation, you need players. What a player he is! But does he look like a player? Does he look like a three hundred grand a week player to you at the moment? He doesn't to me. No, but he he's like a beacon at the moment, flashing, and it's very obvious in his body language. He's not getting the supply. He's only going to be happy when he gets the supply. So the manager is actually trying to change things. He went to a five because he needs to be more secure. Arsenal were easy to beat. Goalkeepers making more saves than any other goalkeeper in the Premier League. It was ridiculous. They've become tougher. They became a counter-attacking team. And if you look last season, um, they, were, they weren't creating that many chances, but they were putting most of them away. They stopped taking those chances. Now he needs to change things, go to a four, a better platform maybe, to then create more. That's what he's trying to do. So I think the manager sees the problems very well. It's then getting the players then to, to execute that. And in the development stage, you don't really want to be playing Tottenham when you're trying to change your system. It may surprise us and go back to a five. Let, let, let's wait and see. But if Arsenal can win the game, it's the perfect game to change your season. Arsenal are 14th place at the moment. They've lost five games already this season. They've only scored 10 goals. And that this is from a manager that's with, worked with Guardiola. He's been with Arsene Wenger. And it's all about attacking and flair play. He's got to put that right. And eventually, Avamian gets his goals. At the but moment... But, but, but when you're in that dark place, as Arsenal are slightly at the moment, let's not yes. get things out of context, but slightly in a dark place. It, to me, I always think you need your best players, your top players mm. to lead you out of that dark place. Look yeah. at the way he played 
in the FA Cup semi-final last year when they beat uh, Manchester City, I think it was. Look at the way Aubameyang played that day. Absolutely magnificent. Yes, yeah. When he wants to, he can yeah. lead that team. And that's the word lead, uh, isn't and, it? Because he didn't lead he, at the weekend does, against Wolves. Does he, does he do that? Does he do that in terms of body language and application? Is he doing that? No, but we've got to make him happy by giving him the service. You know, uh, I say we, I'm nothing to do with the club now, but it's like, you know, you've got a player of that quality, use him. Or you're mate, no, mate, nobody makes me happy at work. I try and make myself happy. <laughs> I, bet, I, bet, I bet you're yeah. the same. Yeah. You know, you know. It's got to come from with no Ian, I'm with you. It's got to come from within. He's the totally. leader. He's got to totally. show the example. His body language against Wolves was diabolical. It really was. So he's got to... Anyway, listen, we could argue the toss here. Uh, Mark, you said you enjoyed refereeing the North London derby. It's easier for referees without the fans. Let's be blunt, isn't it? You know, there's nobody uh, catcalling every single decision. You know, if you give a free kick to Arsenal early on uh, uh, on Sunday, you know, I haven't got a load of Tottenham fans giving you what for. It's easier for the referees, isn't it? It's strange because it doesn't just affect the inside the stadium. It actually affects you going into the stadium because normally fans are congregated outside the stadiums on the way down from the hotel to the stadiums. You're getting abuse. And actually the adrenaline normally flows before the kickoff. Yeah. Now there's just no adrenaline at all. So, yeah, the, it is different, it, and I think is is referees more relaxed with it as possible, you know, because the 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 is the attack is not caring. I think football's huge missing from all football refereeing. The quicker we're in, the better. Um, let's 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 finish with Chelsea against Leeds and a big decision. You would imagine if you'd score four goals in the week, Martin, you'd expect to play at the weekend. There's no guarantee that Giroud's going to play, is there? It's, it's remarkable. And I, and I think, I mean, you know, as an Arsenal fan, we, I don't think we really appreciate Giroud. And I think it's exactly the same with Chelsea. You know, he, he plays for the national team. I think he's going to make it to the summer if he carries on as he is. There's no way that Frank Lampard can allow Giroud to leave in, in January because it just makes the, the squad so much stronger when the so-called second-string striker comes in and puts the ball in the back of the net in the way he does, and he brings something different to Chelsea in terms of, he's like a backboard. Everything bounces into him, he secures it, they lead from there, and if he gets a chance to finish, these are top-quality finishes now. So I think Frank now is, is delighted with the situation. He rescued them last season when they were struggling. He's had to wait to get his opportunity now, and he's coming, he's done exceptionally well. Everything's, everything's just brewing nicely for Frank. You know, Silver at the back there, he rested him. Roddy Ridiger came in, Christensen as well. So there's a really strong squad and they're all performing and there's competition for places there now. I saw a graphic yesterday, Ian, of the, of the Chelsea squad where it had, you know, in each position, two, sometimes three players. I'm not just talking about the goalkeeper. Three players in there. That is a squad as good as anybody's in the league. Arguably, actually, the strongest squad in the league overall, isn't it, Chelsea? I remember in the summer... Um... Uh, writing um, a story about uh, uh, Chelsea wants to sign uh, Kai Havertz, and um, I remember when I was writing it, thinking, thinking, I'm not sure I really believe this because because when you look at the players that they already had, and you look at the players that already committed to signing that summer, but well, I remember the information being from quite a good place, and thinking, well, I'm going to write this, but I'm not really sure that. I believe it. I spoke to Sammy Mockbell on our paper about it. He's much better at these things than I am. And we and, and we decided that we were going to kind of write this thing. Uh, but what I'm getting at is that that plays to this issue of squ squad depth. 
it, it's not enough anymore to say, oh, we don't need that player because we've already got that player in that position. Yeah, well, you need two. You need two. Because look at Manchester City's bench. They've got two everywhere. Look at Liverpool's bench. They haven't got quite two everywhere, but they're getting there. And that's where Chelsea are trying to get to. And that is so important these days, isn't it? In when teams are playing so many matches that you don't just need, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but it's absolutely true. It's squads that win, that win Premier League rather than teams. And I don't think Chelsea are quite there yet, but they're certainly moving in, in um, the right direction. The great thing about Giroud is that he's happy, well, he seems to be not happy. No player's happy to be on the bench, but he, ha- he seems to be the type of player who can live with it, mm. who can live with being in and out, in and out. Not all centre-forwards, as we know, can, can live with that. Well, the issue with Giroud, simply, in is it not, is no one's... It was never a debate about how good he was as a centre-forward, bringing players in, holding the ball up. The situation simply was at Arsenal. Is he your main striker who you can rely upon to get 20 goals a season and win you the league? And the no. answer was no. I mean, so, this, was a, this was a guy who went through, a, who went through a World Cup, incredible, went through a World Cup <laughs> in which his team won the World Cup and he was playing and didn't have a shot and goal all tournament. Yeah. Extraordinary stat. Yeah. But but his coach clearly thought he was doing yeah. you know he was he was worth he was worth his place. For, and for, it was the way he, that he played with, with Griezmann and Mbappe and, well, and everybody that, there. Yeah. But he but he <laughs> isn't gonna score those that, no. that number of goals. He isn't. Uh, Mark from a referee's point of view, have you enjoyed watching Leeds? Yeah, I think they've been a breath of fresh air to the Premier League and uh, I think they've given you know, something different. They, they show, you know, what the Premier League was about many years ago. They just attack. Um, I'm not sure how they know how to defend, which was like the good old days. So, you know, I think it's great to watch and it's great, especially living up in the North, that we'll have another North Northern club back in the Premier League because it's important. And, you know, traditionally Leeds have always been a club um, years ago that, you know, were a big, big club and to have them back in the Premier League is is, is, is great to see. And it's amazing the way they play, isn't it, Martin, that when, you know, they attack and they attack, but when they lose the ball, your job as the player is to go and man-mark the player nearest to you. Well, they do that like a basketball situation where they do this man-for-man press. You know, it's just interesting. It's not so long ago, Bielsa, manager of Derby, you know, with a spy gate, Lampard was involved, wasn't he, at that point. I think things got a bit tetchy. I don't know whether that's something Frank likes doing. But I think there's a bit of a clash with Bielsa. And I think Frank will want desperately to be able to beat Leeds and demonstrate that tactically that he has what it takes to, to, to conquer Leeds. But the things that they sometimes do, the players for Leeds, it just seems crazy, Mark. You know, when you're asking the right back to go and press and run past your winger to press their fullback, as Aileen does, I would be saying to Bielsa as a senior player, well, this is crazy. This, this is almost madness. But, you know, is madness close to genius? in terms of Bielsa, maybe it is. But I just think they're going to be entertaining. They're shipping goals for fun, but they find ways of winning. And so I think they're a really good addition to the Premier League this year. They make it really interesting for us. But I think if I was a manager, I wouldn't get too caught up in the tactics. I like the way that Palace played against them. Played a 4-4-2, didn't get carried away. You know, Roy's been a manager for many years and they actually thumped Leeds that day. So maybe Frank will do something similar in this one. Let's, let's finish with this here. The great thing for me about Leeds is they will be here next season. There's no chance they're going to go down. And I think they are so good for the Premier League because they are that little bit different. What do you think? Yeah, well, and we haven't even had any, any supporters in Ellen Road no. yet. Yeah. Um, no, and I'm you know, living where I live uh, in, in the north, in Manchester. I'm totally with Mark on that. You know, another great northern powerhouse uh, 
Um, City, with its football team back in the Premier League, from from my point of view, is absolutely fabulous. Um, it's even better that there are Leeds team who are, who are great to watch and are doing things different, as Martin just brilliantly explained there. Um, and what interests me, and what will interest me, is that when, when the next uh, manager at a big Premier League club leaves, loses his job, it does happen. We know it will happen somewhere at some point, and the and names will be mentioned. Why does nobody? Why does nobody talk about Bielsa? Do people think, oh, he's too, he's too old, he's too old, or what? You know, he won't, do, do, he we, won't do we be need mentioned. do we need to see why if not? this Leeds team can keep up physically with the demands of the Premier League to the end of the season? Is that you, one of the you, questions? You talk to Pep Guardiola. You talk to Mauricio Pochettino. About and they'll all talk about Bielsa. Oh, Bielsa is a genius. He's a genius. He's a genius. Well, okay. With the greatest respect, in order for him to get a job in the, in England, why did he have to bring a team up from the from the Championship to get a job in England? If he's this, if he's this genius, what? Well, just, 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 just put think, it out there. Yeah, I don't think he's renowned for the trophies he wins. No, right. and for the where he pushes the boundaries of what's possible on a football pitch, and he thinks of things that other great coaches necessarily haven't really thought of. Some might have done, but it's not going to work. It's, it's more of a madcap idea. But Bielsa's prepared to put those ideas into practice, at, at, sometimes at the, for the sake of a result. He's, it's more about him studying the game. He's almost like a chess player. The Guardiola game against City earlier this season was like two great chess players. But for me, I think it's, football's more simple than that. And I, and I think he does complicate it. And what I'm saying is if you're coming into contact with him, don't even go there. Stick to your basics mm. and try to beat them, you know, because your team's better than them. And basically, Chelsea have got really good players when it comes down to it. And if they want to go one for one all over the pitch, there'll be a weakness somewhere. There's so much pace with the Chelsea team. It doesn't work. And I think you should be sharing that responsibility across the back, not man for man. I love going man for man. But it, it, if not everyone can do it, then you're, that's, you're, you're only as good as the weakest player that you've got in that group. And if he's not quick enough, as their two central defenders are not quick enough, when you really get down to it, they get exposed, they get beat. Let, let's leave it there. And, and remember, nobody liked man-for-man -man marking more than Martin Keown. That's absolutely <laughs> for sure. And that's it from Game On. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. That's it from me, Mark Pugach. See you next week for more Game On.